I think that value-based care can only really be fully executed if you pull in that remote patient monitor. We have patients with real access issues. So not only can remote patient monitoring help patients receive better care, it might be the only option for some patients for receiving any care. Welcome to Transcending Home Care. Stan Massey of Transcend Strategy Group holds vital discussions with other experts on insights and ideas to help providers succeed in the ever-changing landscape of home-based health care. For more than 18 years now, Stan has helped providers of senior care and home-based care build their brands to increase referrals, admissions, staff retention, and performance scores. This episode features a conversation with special guest Robin Stavosh, licensed master social worker and program development executive for Acclivity Health Solutions. In this session with host Stan Massey, Robin shares an exciting look at the emerging applications of telehealth and other remote care tools. Take a moment to listen and you'll gain a new understanding of how telehealth can play a significant role in improving care and elevating the overall patient experience. Robin, thanks so much for joining me today to talk about this important and rapidly evolving topic of telehealth. Thank you for the opportunity. This is a very timely and important information and topic for hospices and palliative care providers to understand. Yes, it is. And even though CMS has technically defined telehealth historically as needing both audio and visual components, for our discussion today, let's broaden that term to include all virtual or remote patient care through technology. Sound good? Sounds great. Um, There's a lot of uh, changes right now that are specific to the COVID crisis um, and and the waivers that have been passed because of them. But I think telehealth and, and telemedicine in general is going to be something that's going to be with us for a long term. And so hospices really should be preparing and thinking long term of, of meeting regulations when um, those uh, emergency um, regulations and waivers have been lifted. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I feel that the COVID pandemic has kickstarted telehealth into some of its uses that have should have been in practice for quite some time now. As CMS did start relaxing some of their telehealth policies in response to COVID-19, it seems like a lot of the advent of telehealth has been focused on video chats and video usage. And while that's only a small part of what telehealth can do, let's start with two aspects of video's potential, clinical care and addressing issues of social isolation. And I'm talking about even before COVID happened. What aspects are you seeing for video connections and the potential with regards to clinical care moving forward? Absolutely. I think, um, as you mentioned, this is going to be healthcare's new normal. Um, That genie has been let out of the bottle, if you will, by the opportunities and the um, realization of the practicalities of, of telehealth and being able to work remotely. And I think that as we all become a little bit more familiar with and and uh, with the games and with the possibilities that telehealth brings, um, even if it was brought to us through COVID, I think that those lessons will stay with us. On the clinical side, the hospices realize how much there is to gain for both the patients and for staff, but also on the payer side uh, of how much uh, more efficient and effective providers can be. And so I don't think we're going to go back. And, and, and talking specifically about the uh, video 
um, the, the practicalities and the possibilities with video conferencing. Um, there is so much that can be done through those visits, as, as you mentioned. I think one of the things that it can do on the clinical side is it can expand your team. You have the ability to bring in uh, uh, licensed professionals that you may not otherwise uh, think to bring to the, to the uh, or not even be able to bring to the bedside. For instance, psychologists or wound care specialists or specific specialists in a, in a type of disease that might be unfamiliar uh, for most of the pro providers in, in the area. Um, all of those folks can be brought to the bedside through telemedicine that, and through video conferencing specifically, who probably for all practical sense would not be able to come into the home um, for most patients. So being able to increase the pool of licensed provider resources that a hospice would pull, pull upon. Um, it also really allows the patient themselves the ability to control their environment, to be able to, to have more flexibility in the time uh, setting, in who's present for the visit, of being able to have uh, the ability to be in control of, of how they are attending the meeting and, and how that meeting is moving forward. And that the availability of being able to talk and to see through a teleconference, uh, a video conference specifically, it definitely is going to allow uh, clinicians who are trying to assess a patient remotely. You can do so much of just let me see that wound, let me hear her breathing, let me see her face, let me see uh, his position in the bed, let me see the condition of the skin, let me watch uh, um, him respond to the pain, let me see how he's trying to eat. Those types of things that can be added to an assessment. Um, remember, not just those regular assessments that are happening in the, in the regular course of care, but also on-call assessments. That nurse that gets called in the middle of the night uh, that has a family that may very well be in crisis or a patient who is in crisis, um, and that the nurse knows that they have uh, a half an hour's drive between them and the patient, if they can look at that patient, if they can put eyes on that patient and see the condition in the home, not only can they instruct, not only can they triage, not only can they have a better assessment of what exactly is waiting for them once they get there, but it also gives the family that much more security of knowing that that patient was seen. They have a much better, uh, higher confidence level that the patient's uh, specific situation is now in that nurse's hands um, and the response that that nurse is providing is specific. I'm really glad you brought up the whole idea of not just using the video connection for a video chat, but to see the patient and see their position in bed and things like that. Are there other things uh, that you can think of or have seen working out there using that video camera as the eyes of the clinician that might not have to do directly with the patient at all, such as um, being able to review the, the meds that someone is doing to look at the labels or to look at social determinants within their living environment, things of that nature? Absolutely. I think medical reconciliation is definitely something that can be done with much greater confidence if you can see what's going on as opposed to monitoring over the phone. But very specifically, in a situation where it is a new medication and it might be even an old medication that has a new way of being given to the patient and you have a caregiver that is just not familiar. 
for instance, let's say they have to pull something into a syringe and they just, their eyesight might not be that great or their confidence level is just not that high. And no matter how much you describe it on the phone or even show them the picture, if you can watch over their shoulder, if you will, if you can have them bring that syringe to the camera and look at what the dosage is and help them guide them and watch how it's being administered, especially as I said, the first time it's done, not only will that make sure the clinician knows that it's being right and that it's uh, not an overdose or an underdose, but for the patient and especially for the caregiver to know that, yes, what I did was correct um, and, and to alle alleviate some of that, that um, fear or lack of confidence um, that, yes, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do now. It can be so incredibly helpful. You mentioned the social determinants of health side. Absolutely. If you have those eyes and, and you can look at a patient or a caregiver, not only are you assessing the patient, you can are assessing the caregiver. Are they panicking? Are they do they look just completely worn out? Are they paying attention as as are they able to pay attention as you are describing the situation? Those are all such important things for you to be able to get that you cannot get without those eyes in the home. Really good points. A lot of that is related to clinical care and uh, caring for the caregiver. There's another aspect that I've heard some of our clients talking about, and that is the whole issue of combating social isolation. And again, this is before uh, the, the COVID era. Unfortunately, a significant number of patients can be at home alone uh, more often than maybe they should be. So mm -hmm. how have you seen uh, the ability to connect by video really help counter those emotional issues of social isolation and loneliness? It is perhaps one of the biggest indicators of, of success um, and, and one of the biggest contributions of symptom burden is that level of engagement with your, your network. Define that as family, define that as loved ones, define that as society, however you need to define that. Um, it is so important. And there is something different being able to engage with someone eye to eye, seeing their face, watching their smile, watching their reaction. And, and it's so important for the clinicians to be mindful of proper telehealth etiquette at this point, of being able to look people in the eye, of knowing how the cameras work so that you're not looking off camera, to know, to, to really, uh, you can gauge how someone is, is tuned in or not. And, and that helps us actually be a little bit more tuned in with that video connection than if we are on the phone and perhaps a little bit more easily distracted. On the other side, teleconferencing, it can be set up for anyone. There is no need that the, uh, to have a teleconference be confined to the clinician and the patient or perhaps a caregiver. You can pull in as many people as you need to into these conversations. Um, even if, if, let's say, a family member lives across the country or is uh, on themselves uh, um, limited by their own health and can't be part of a conversation, perhaps they're in a nursing home or something like that. They, uh, with proper planning, all of those folks can be pulled in. So not only do they get a sense of being able to be there during the clinical exams, but they also can be there for some of the psychosocial um, conversations. If a social worker is having a family meeting, you need as many people involved in that as possible. And so being able to have that ability to set up a room, to have all these folks come in safely and be able to contribute to, to see each other, to connect with each other, to hear each other, and be much more engaged 
than they would be if if a social worker was talking to all of them uh, uh, individually. Obviously, that also applies to um, a spiritual care provider or or anyone else. As, as things like advanced directives are being discussed, it's so important to have as many people involved in, in that. And that, that obviously will address that whole sense of isolation of I'm in this alone, that sense of loneliness of allowing a patient to know that everybody's heard what needs to be heard, that everybody was part of the conversation, and help, help them realize that they're not alone. Very good. As we've been talking, the telehealth really does encompass a lot more, or can encompass a lot more, than even the important aspects of that video chat or video conferencing. Can you share a little bit about some of the technology functionality your company is working on to improve patient care virtually without giving away any trade secrets, of course, but uh, I know there's some exciting things on the horizon. What are some of the functions that, uh, that you're, you're building into uh, apps and software that can really keep better tabs on patients for both clinicians and families? Absolutely. Thank you. I think that uh, what Equivity Health is putting together right now is, is very exciting. There are so many great developments going, happening now in, in telehealth, not only with Equivity, but with other uh, developers and providers as well. Obviously, I can speak most to, to what Equivity has put forward, and I feel it is very innovative and, and really sets itself apart. One of the things that we have available besides the video conferencing platform is a remote patient monitoring system that allows patients and families to speak and to initiate the conversations and provide their own information at any time and on any issue. So what it can do is allow that patient and family on their schedule, on their time as their needs arise to check in. They can request a phone call. They can talk about and explain how a patient is doing. We have, for the current situation, built in a COVID screening tool that has been validated by uh, Duke. And that COVID screening uh, tool can be used um, to help the clinical team know uh, if there is an exposure risk and be able to triage that risk and be able to respond to that appropriately before they go into the home. But it also allows the patient or family to say, hey, I need a phone call. And the ability for a patient to know that there's somebody out there listening, that the uh, help is only a, a moment away, even if it's not in the home, there will be a response. That is something that our call nurse functionality allows so that uh, an immediate, within less than three seconds, as soon as that request goes out, an email or and or text communication will be transferred to the care team to uh, allow them to respond. One of the things we also do is track the patient's symptoms. Uh, we use something that's very sim- similar to the Edmund symptom assessment scale to track pain, to uh, allow that pain to be quantified on a, on a scale also show where that pain is located. It also allows them to track other symptoms such as shortness of breath or fatigue or anxiousness or uh, tiredness, all uh, constipation. All of those types of symptoms can be tracked and quantified over time and obviously uh, brought to the care team for them to respond to. One of the things we do as well is allow that information not only to be accessible to the care team, but to the family. The patient, of course, has to authorize who can access that information. But if they say, yes, my my daughter in California, instead of having her call all the time and have my daughter here in, let's say, New York, 
feel those calls on top of everything else that she's doing. But my daughter can check in, all of my family that I authorize can check in through the app and see how my pain is today, see how I'm feeling, to see uh, um, how I'm doing and, and keep up to date. Um, another thing that we are, are helping hospices do is identify when patients may be entering into some of those final stages. It is so important that those visits at the end of life happen um, for the patient's sake, for the hospice's sake, for the family's sake. But so often that happens without us being aware that that crisis is upon us. If, if that decline happens between visits, we, uh, clinicians may not be aware. So what we the app allows is a screen that the caregiver can keep the care team aware of any of those indicators. And again, these clinical indicators have been validated over quite some time, but also through our medical teams as appropriate triggers for when patients are entering into the very uh, final stages of their lives um, where death may be imminent. So when those triggers are, are identified, the care team can respond appropriately and have those visits happen in those last days of life, which is so important for everybody. That is really impressive. Uh, if I'm understanding correctly, use of tools such as the Edmonton Symptom Assessment, um, that's something that the patient or a family caregiver would fill out even on a daily or bi-daily basis and do a constant update of, of the patient's status? Yes. Um, these, uh, all of these would be available on any smart device, either uh, a phone, either Android or, or iPhone, Apple phone, or a tablet perhaps, or on a computer, any, anything that would give you good internet access. Um, they would uh, download a free app. Um, they would get access to their instance of the application so that it is all HIPAA protected and consent has been given. And then every day, or as often as they want to, they can go in that app and record those symptoms on behalf of the patient, if the patient is not able, or um, by the patient themselves. They can ask for those uh, callbacks. They can complete some of those screens. They can check in on how they're doing with their symptoms. Um, all of that can uh, happen uh, on their schedule. Um, which for a lot of caregivers um, nowadays is not the hospice's schedule. <laughs> you may have caregivers that are coming in in the evening or uh, that's when um, they really are sitting down and checking in and, and doing that inventory. Outstanding. Just as you mentioned some alerts that might be built in for hospice patients if uh, factors are pointing to death being more imminent, are there alerts built in for these other assessments if there's a significant change in any of the symptom uh, ratings or anything like that that would alert the clinical team to, to check in on the patient? Absolutely. Obviously, those can be set to specific parameters. Uh, uh, some things that sort of come to mind um, off the top of my head would be a very high pain score or a pain score that's staying at a um, moderate level but for a significant amount of time. All of those parameters and all of those triggers can be defined by the hospice themselves. And obviously, the notification, both who would be notified and how they would be notified, is again set by the hospice themselves. They know their system best. They know uh, um, what they're looking for. They know what their response is going to be better than anyone else. So those should be and, and are always set by the hospice. And so that they can say, this is what we are uh, concerned about, and this is what we want to see. 
And then their response is whether or not they, they call, whether or not they visit, again, is to be sent by the hospice. That's really cool. Already, there are certain wearable digital devices. I don't want to say any brand names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wearable digital devices that can monitor biological functions like Absolutely. heart rate and glucose levels and things like that. What is the merger between that kind of technology and a, a monitoring system like you're talking about um, sure. that's available through a smartphone? I mean, I know for a long time there have been things like uh, smart mats that, say, a heart patient can lay on and send diagnostics to the cardiologist, that that requires a special piece of equipment and all that. What, what's the merger that's happening between existing wearable digital technology and the technology that companies like yours are working on right now? It is amazing how we're just catching up on the operational side of what the technology side has allowed us to do. We just didn't know to do it for quite some time. And you're absolutely right. There's a lot of functionality in in our homes already that we can take advantage of, as well as looking at specific tools to bring in if it's not already present. Um, There are a lot of biometric monitors that are available that have Bluetooth capability, everything from scales to blood pressure cuffs to pulse oximeters, those types of things. A lot of them now are being produced with Bluetooth capability that can be added into those type of applications and then sent on to the care team. There's even some that are built into our phones themselves. There's so much that's available, whether it be things that can be done with the camera to things that can be done in uh, in capabilities built into our phones that we're not even aware of that is already present in the home. Remote patient monitoring that takes advantage of those, especially these flexible things that are much more accessible than dedicated hardware that has to be moved from home to home. The more that we're able to take advantage of those, the more information our care teams have and the better care our patient uh, can receive. With hospice, you always have to be mindful of of making sure that we are not becoming um, overly focused on some of the biometrics and the vital signs, if you will, that can make folks focus back on the numbers and not on the symptoms themselves and how they're impacting the patient. So all of this has to be done in context of a hospice care plan. But for non-hospice service lines, for the palliative care, for the seriously ill population, for all sorts of advanced illness monitoring and management programs that hospice providers are are looking into and providing today, that wealth of service that hospice providers are now able to provide, all of these um, should be, um, can be, uh, and hopefully will be integrated into that care plan. Wow, I I, I really couldn't agree more. And for at least 20 years, the whole national healthcare system and the payer system has been saying we've got to transition from a fee-for-service based model to a value-based model. And personally, I've always felt that telehealth was going to have to play a crucial role in that equation, but I wasn't really clear on how it could be enacted until technology like this started to emerge. Uh, What are your feelings about the role of telehealth and really getting the entire system to a value-based model? I think if there was any branch of healthcare, any type of healthcare that is 
more perfectly set up for both of those, for value-based care as well as for telehealth, being able to do remote patient care. It's hospice and palliative care. It is perfect for us. Um, We have been doing value-based care for for about 40 years now. It just wasn't called that, of being able to look at the outcomes, of being able to judge and set care to what do you want, not what can we do, not what can we do, but what should we do? Being able to keep an eye on the value brought to the patient both for uh, quality of life, for quantity of life, for the value in that life, and being able to allow those choices to be patient-driven. That's all of what is the key to value-based care, and that is second nature to hospice. That's what we've been doing from the get-go. We don't know how to do it any other way. So I think that value-based care can only really be fully executed if you pull in that remote patient monitor. We have patients with real access issues. They may be uh, in a remote area. They may be unable to transport themselves at all or have anybody help them transport. They may be in such a physical state that they can't get anywhere. They may be in a very urban setting, but again, unable to get there or the burden that is involved in accessing public transportation is just too great. They may have uh, problems with access to hospitals. Um, We have more and more rural hospitals and small hospitals closing. So they may be out from the closest facility. Um, We have less and less care providers in, in rural areas. So not only can remote patient monitoring help patients receive better care, it might be the only option for some patients for receiving any care. And hospice, who really gears their care towards the home, palliative medicine that really gears care to being patient-driven, I think those are things that are drive remote patient monitoring, and those are things that need to be at the heart, if not necessarily at the heart, but at least in the tool box of palliative and, and hospice providers. Yes, it's, I think, uh, a new frontier and uh, really exciting. Are there any other aspects of these emerging telehealth capabilities that you're excited about that we haven't touched on yet? I get blown away with the different things that are, are we are capable of. And while the current crisis has brought so much concern, so much loss, so much fear, um, it also has given us a chance to truly innovate. I think when we are challenged like this, when we don't have the resources that we need, when those challenges really come up, is when we can do our best as far as innovation, creative problem solving, of of getting through all the unnecessary wrap out there that will just keep us meeting the needs of regulation. All of that um, has to be cut away, and and, uh, we need to refocus on what matters and what works. And so I think while this crisis does create so much loss and stress for us currently, we are strong. Um, I think the home care and home-based hospice and palliative-based care providers are going to come through this with the greatest strength and with more aspects of the healthcare system realizing the value that we that we bring to the table and that they have to start including our type of care in their long-term care plan and in their healthcare continuum as a standard, not as an exception or as an add-on. I think that will be what we will realize going forward. 
that our type of care, our value is going to be realized and, and included. Um, and we will probably be a big piece of the solution that the rest of the healthcare continuum will need going forward. I think you're right, Robin. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. It seems like a really exciting future for telehealth, but more importantly, the use of telehealth to bring better patient and caregiver care into the homes where patients need it most. Thank you for being my guest on our podcast today. Thank you so much, Dan, and and thank you for bringing more light and more attention to this very important uh, opportunity for hospices and for palliative care providers. As always, I, I appreciate all that you are doing to help that care move forward and be accessible by more and more patients. It's truly my pleasure. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. Watch for future episodes of Transcending Home Care on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. For more content, visit Transcend dash strategy dot com.